Gerard, the session of the Kent Commerce Podcast. Today we have a pleasure to introduce our great guest, um, Dr. LC Square. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, yes, I'm, uh, uh, I go by at Dr. LC Square on Twitter. I'm LC Campo. I am uh, uh, the head of process chemistry here at, at Merck in the US. And before that, I uh, joined the pharmaceutical industry at Merck Frost in Montreal. And I'm originally from Canada, where I did my PhD and, and all my summary education as well. So, so I guess you have different uh, angles, and and we can we we prepared a, a list of questions from like different because you you're known as a for, from the the chemist who cook, um, or I guess cooking cooking with LC, and then you know you're known as the uh, part of Merck, and then you're also known as someone who loves golfing. So we'll we'll make sure to touch on on all of them um, today. We mentioned there that you kind of work at Merck currently in terms of like your journey from kind of where you began at Merck to where you are mm -hmm. today. Could you kind of touch on that a bit, kind of give us, give our audience a bit of an idea? Sure. I mean, the irony, I think, of, of the whole thing is that one of the reasons I wanted to join industry is because I felt like I would have more control over the geography that I was going to live in. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, that was true. Um, I, uh, I did my PhD at the University of Ottawa. And uh, maybe around the second or third year, um, I met um, a process chemist from Merck who came and gave a talk. And I was really impressed by the science that they showed and the passion they had for the science. And that was probably my first sort of interaction. And then through the years, I met a number of other ones at other conferences. And they, they always stood out to me in terms of their excitement for the science. So that's what really drove me to pursue a career in pharma, specifically in process chemistry at Merck. And then uh, at the end of my third year of my PhD, there was an opening um, at uh, Merck Frost um, and uh, I decided to apply sort of, you know, to see if, if, if I could, if I could be successful, I was sort of ready to go do a postdoc um, after my PhD, but uh, ended up being very fortunate and, and ended up having that position. So joined the group uh, at the end of my fourth year and uh, Really, for the, for the first three years of my career, worked uh, in Montreal. I was very close to family. It was only about an hour away from all of mine and my wife's family. We, we started our own family, had a little boy. Um, and then, unfortunately, um, you know, during my third year, Merck announced that they were going to close uh, the Merck Frost Research Facility. Um, this, the headquarters are still there, but uh, there was no more research. And I was sort of at a crossroads, right, uh, to decide, um, you know, what to do next. And there were a number of other pharma companies in Montreal at the time and, you know, considered some of those options, but there were very few process chemistry options. They're mostly medicinal chemistry. And I, I've been a, a fan, I would say, and certainly have practiced um, and, and worked very closely with medicinal chemists. Um, but at the time, I wasn't quite ready to make that leap. And so my wife and I decided to, um, you know, take an opportunity to relocate here in New Jersey. And to, to try, uh, you know, our hands uh, at a life in the U.S. And, and it's been it's been really good. Um, since then, I've probably been in, I don't know, six different jobs and worked at two different sites in the U.S. But, um, yeah. you know, one of the great things about Merck is uh, it offers a lot of lateral mobility. Mm -hmm. So you can really pursue your interests. You can try different things. And so, um, you know, if, if that's of interest, I can walk you through all those roles, but definitely, you know, I've been able to kind of try a bunch of different things and, and ultimately that was very fruitful for my development. That's, that's really interesting. Um, I guess one of the questions that, um, I had in terms of you deciding to be a process chemist, so how was it mainly influenced as you, uh, mentioned, uh, with the, by the talks that you attended or, uh, was it something that you actually, so because, 
um, what, what you're doing during your PhD is not necessarily what you will end up doing um, in the future. So how do you decide where, where you want to go and how, how risky it is to kind of go to a completely different, different field of chemistry? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that my rationale at the time made sense to me. And in, in retrospect, with 15, almost 15 years of experience now, um, I always find that students are much too confident about what they actually want to do, whether it's process chemistry or, or medicinal chemistry when they interview. Um, the reality is um, a lot of it, you don't really know what it's like to do that job until you actually do it. And, and grad school is a very poor substitute, both in terms of the teamwork that's required to develop and discover a drug, uh, as well as sort of the resources that are at your disposal and how that impacts the way that you work. Um, but I, I must say that, that um, you know, what you said about sort of uh, having met some process chemists at Merck and, and, and there was something about those people and the way that they interacted with uh, the external field and the way that they pursued sort of aspirational science and didn't, you know, you never saw a process chemist say, well, this was good enough. So we moved on. You know, it was always like, this is nice, but we thought we could do better. And then there was sort of that next, there was that next, uh, that next step. And, and uh, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to, to a colleague of mine, uh, Greg Hughes, who was a recruiter for Merck at the time. And he, he came and, and his enthusiasm for the role and for what it did and the impact it could have on human health was um, really what inspired me to pursue that as a career. Um, I, I would say for graduate students that are out there now, one of the best pieces of advice that, that I've ever read and, and that, I, that I'll relate to, to your audience is that you ultimately become the people that you work with, right? And so if you meet these people and you, you aspire to be like them, you, you see what their strengths are, you see what their passions are and those are things that you're excited and passionate about and that you want to get good at um that's probably a good fit for you uh, and ultimately i think that was a great fit for me yeah that's interesting i think definitely yeah job satisfaction comes of it being a good fit and uh, like you said that's different for every every individual so it's yeah really important to find what it is that yeah you want out of life you know and naturally hopefully a job should satisfy that for you so you know, we talked there about process chemistry and how it's different from medicinal chemistry. Could you maybe tell the audience what it's like as a process chemist, like day to day, kind of what you'd be doing? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think early on, uh, the the day to day actions are all actually not all that different. Right? You come into an environment where you're going to be working as part of a large team, which is usually pretty unusual. And most grad school programs do not offer an opportunity to be part of a large team, uh, all working on the same goal. Um, and you're going to spend most of your time in the laboratory designing experiments, uh, gathering data. Um, wh where they diverge is that in the medicinal chemistry space, you spend a lot more time reviewing data uh, sort of week to week and sort of getting ready for the next round of analog design. You also spend a lot more time thinking about uh, all the things that aren't chemistry about your compounds, right? Whether they're uh, drug metabolism whether they're uh, potency or off-target activity, uh, pharmacokinetics. Um, in the process chemistry space, uh, very quickly what you realize is a lot of things you learn in grad school are very poor practice in, uh, in process chemistry, right? Things like column, column chromatography, um, uh, a lot of the extractive workups that you take for granted in grad school tend to be very important um, 
you know, when you're on scale, you have to minimize all the volumes that you're using. Everything takes longer on scale than it takes um, in the laboratory. And so all these things that you take for granted when you're developing as a synthetic organic chemist, which is usually everything that comes after the reaction, um, right? You sort of set up the reaction and then everything that comes after uh, becomes a lot more important. And so uh, a lot of the first few years of being a process chemist is learning all those things that are really important and then learning some of the tricks and some of the techniques that we use uh, to optimize those things. And then uh, slowly uh, you'll sort of work your way up uh, and eventually get to lead a team that's maybe doing a campaign. And so you'll, um, you know, you'll go down to a kilo lab and execute steps on scale. And then eventually you'll be the leader of that team that goes down in the kilo lab and executes on scale. Uh, in a lot of groups, they also have a pilot plan on site. That's the case for us in Rahway. And so our chemists are, are even able to uh, collaborate with our engineers to go and scale up their chemistry in the plant and see what that looks like. Um, and so there's an element of uh, the dichotomy between the two. But I would say, you know, for me, the day-to-day -day is really sort of still, you know, you're working on a reaction or you're working on a route and you're trying to figure out the best possible way to get from commodity chemicals to an active pharmaceutical ingredient. And at Merck, that means that if that reaction doesn't exist, you're going to have to go and invent it, right? And so that it's still a very inherently creative act. Um, and it's something that um, we believe is important both for the patients that, that will eventually receive that drug for their access um, to that medication, but also as stewards of both Merck's resources and the planet, you know, uh, reducing, reducing waste of chemical processes is really important. Um, as you may know, the pharmaceutical industry has a sort of high waste to product ratio because it's fine chemical processing. And uh, we need to do better there. And I think that's another thing that, that we've spent a lot of time trying to do uh, at Merck is think about how to, how to be more green in the way that we approach these things. And so, you know, I, I would say the day-to-day -day is, is still very similar for both. There's a lot of meetings to talk about uh, the different types of things that you're doing across the team because the teams are so large and that's sort of a double-edged sword. I think some people um, see the meetings as a, a distraction, but it's a really important part of what we do to coordinate with all the chemical engineers and all the people who work in our plants as well as anyone that we're dealing with either on the regulatory side, the clinical side, or, or even our colleagues in MedChem when we're working with them uh, so that we can coordinate effectively. Before switching gears, I, um, so you mentioned that um, you worked uh, a little bit in Montreal and that's one of my favorite cities in, in Canada. And um, yeah. we, we were curious to know, what do you miss the most? Um, oh. Just one thing. Well, yeah. I so so there's a uh, there's there's several things. So I grew up about an hour outside Montreal. So it's it's practically it's not my hometown. I can't claim that, but but we certainly were um, were were there a lot. Um, there are several things that I miss. I mean, the first of all is I miss the people, right? So having having uh, you know spent uh, well, I guess more than half my life at this point, but soon it won't be the case. Um, you know, around that city. I have a lot of family. I have a lot of friends. My closest friends are, are still in Montreal. Um, and, and I think, you know, that obviously would be true regardless of where those people lived, right? Um, so it's not really a Montreal specific thing, but that's definitely number one. Um, all my siblings are there. My parents are, are close to there as well. But if you want to talk about Montreal specifically, I miss uh, some of the restaurants that we used to go to. I miss the microbrewery microbreweries of Montreal. 
Um, and I miss uh, the ability to go to hockey games anytime I want uh, at the at the Bell Center. So, so as I think some of my Twitter followers know, I have season tickets to the Montreal Canadiens, but I just sell all the tickets because I can't really go to many games. Um, that was a lifelong dream of mine to actually get season tickets. When I got a real job, I put myself on the waiting list to be able to get tickets. And then almost 10 years later, I finally got the call. But by then, I wasn't living in Montreal anymore. And I was like, I'm taking them anyways. I just, lifelong dream, right? So um, so I go to two or three games a year. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, those are the things that I miss, right? I miss going out to dinner at Vin Papillon before, you know, before going to a game. Or I, I miss going for a beer after work at Jude Seattle. These places that were just really key. I miss Montreal bagels, which are somewhat unique, um, right? So these are the little things. Um, my kids would say they miss Saints by Barbecue, which is like this barbecue chicken place that only really exists in Canada. Like these little things that I think um, when, when you leave, well, when we go back now, we hit all those places, right? Like my kids are like, can we go to this restaurant? Yes, we'll go to this restaurant. I miss that there's no real maple syrup when you go for breakfast here in New Jersey. Like you have to ask for it. They give you the fake maple syrup stuff, which as a Canadian is an offense to me. Um, you know, little things like that. Yeah, it's always the little things. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I myself, I've visited Montreal. So I spent a year in Quebec City as part of my university course undergraduate in Fred Fontaine's lab um, oh, yeah. at Université Laval. And uh, yeah, I went to Montreal a few times on the weekends. I had a friend who was there at, I think, McGill, um, also doing a kind of year abroad. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember going to Schwartz's Bakery, uh, bakery I think oh, it yeah. is, the bagel place. Yeah, I remember the line was about a mile long. It was uh, pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. They, they, there's these little sort of institutions, right? Shorts is definitely one of them. Yes, smoked meats. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Fairmount Bagel. Uh, some people like Saint-Viateur Bagel. These like small rivalries between these these institutions. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's like any city. Like if you if you grow up or if you you live somewhere that's as multicultural and diverse as Montreal. Um, you probably find a bunch of these little places that a lot of people don't necessarily know about, um, but uh, that, that are really, really fantastic. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the first part of our conversation with Dr. LC. You can follow him on Twitter at Dr. LC Square. You can also find his podcast, Farm to Table, that's P-H-A-R-M, on all major podcast platforms. Tune in next time for part two, and don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at ChemConvosPod. Have a great day.